0: Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show. And man, oh, man, yes, yes, today, today is a good day. See, today we're going to have another phenomenal guest speaking with us today. And and you know what today is also? It, it is the first week of 2020, 2022 Black History Month. And so I, I wanted to do something special. We wanted to, to, to bring something special to you. So today, I'm gonna to introduce you to my new friend, Dr. Maya Rockymore Cummings. See, today is gonna to be special because Dr. Cummings is not only a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, Now, that would be too easy. <laughs> she is not only the founder, president, and CEO of Global Policy Solutions, I mean, that would be great, but yeah, it keeps going from there. She she is also the chairman of the Maryland Democratic Party. It doesn't stop there. She has accomplished so much, and we're going to be talking about it all today. She is also the spouse and partner of the late Honorable Elijah Cummings. So today we're going to really spend some time digging into deep how to overcome and bounce back from challenges when things go wrong. We're gonna talk about how leaders can communicate more effectively via different means at different times. And we're gonna talk about how to manage your energy so that you're always performing at your best and you're able to always perform at a level that is in alignment where you wanna be in life. Man, today, Again, is a good day. So without any further ado, my friend, Dr. Maya Cummings. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show. And today we have a new and wonderful friend of the show, Dr. Maya Rockymore Cummings. How are you doing today, madam?
1: I am doing exceedingly and wonderfully well. How about you, Alex?
0: I am pushing through. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with the audience because I, I want everyone to know, just like literally, how real these conversations are. Um, the reality is, is that uh, I am I am not feeling well right now. I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit. I'm, honestly I'm feeling really sick, and my wife is really sick, and we're getting t- tested for COVID um, uh, this this upcoming week Saturday, and it made me think like there are people. Like if you look at the television personalities and, and, and leaders such as um, uh, Maya here, like you have to get up and do your job every single day, regardless of how you're feeling. Um, so one, again, big ups to, to leaders such as yourself who push through. But I, I like to ask you that the first question actually is, when do you know when it's best to push through? It, are we doing too much? Should we be taking those mental health days as leaders? Like, wh- What are your thoughts on this?
1: So first of all, let me just say, I'm sorry that you're not feeling well, and I'm sorry that you and your wife uh, suspect that you might have COVID. And I know that you're likely vaccinated and probably even uh, double vexed with uh, a booster shot like me. Um, And so, you know, I'm wishing you all well uh, and and just so grateful uh, that, you know, that the symptoms can be as mild as they seem to be. That being said, you know, it is imperative that people take mental health days, people from all walks of life, not just people who are considered professed leaders. uh, But, you know, um, you know, the nine to five workday or, you know, double shifts, you know, whatever your work schedule is can drain you. And many people go to work, um, do their jobs, and then come home and have another uh, job, although it's not described as it, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that's mother or father or, you know, whatever at home. And so, you know, with that, people become, you know, stressed and tired. And and that means that, you know, oftentimes your emotional state is on edge. Uh, You're probably not able to think as clearly as you would otherwise. Uh, And that, you know, results in errors being made. It results in, you know, anger and other things that break relationships. And so in order to prevent that, I think that wellness is incredibly important. I think that we have to prioritize it. I had, I think that we have to make it a part of our week. Something that I've recently started embracing is breathing exercises. Now, I've um, during COVID, I've started to do sleep meditation before I go to sleep because I had a hard time getting to sleep after my husband passed, especially. But um, you know, now I've even started incorporating breathing exercises because I went um, somewhere and they told me that. I was doing, I was breathing through my chest and the proper way to breathe is through your stomach. And, you know, now that I'm doing these breathing exercises, I, I find that I can even, you know, focus and concentrate even better. So, well, this is important and, uh, you know, uh, wishing you and your wife very, very well, and hopefully no COVID.
0: Yes, hopefully I you're You're right. We are definitely double, double jabbed. Um, and, and so I'm a hundred percent with you and i I'd like to press a little bit more on this before we, you know, get into that leadership stuff, uh, which this is part of leadership. So um, how do you know, like, but what about those situations where, you know, you're trying to practice You know mental health and whatnot, but you see the person who's right next to you, who's 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 dogging it out, who's going going hard every single day. How do you keep up? How do you make sure you stand out when the other person is is again they're not taking it maybe as seriously as they should? And I think about you know one of my favorite reporters, Chris Wallace. Like I love that. I I just I really enjoy him. Hit listening to him, and I I, he's. He's on there like every single week, like he's supposed to be, not now, right? He, he left Fox, but he's on there, right? So like, how do you know when it is appropriate to, to step back versus when you need to push through and build that resilience?
1: So, you know, I am not in a competitive environment. You know, I firmly believe that, you know, we all have our gifts and we all have our, um, you know, the purpose in life, um, things that only we could and should probably do. And, and so, you know, I am currently at a stage in my life where I'm not necessarily stressed by what other people are doing. Um, I'm blessed in that space because I'm able to build my platform as I, um, you know, at, at, as I desire it to be. Um, and, and so many other people are not in that, in that situation. And maybe at some point in the future, I'll enter a more competitive environment where things will change. But I firmly believe that we all have our own gifts. We all have our own style. Um, and I guarantee you that whoever is going hard, pounding the pavement, you know, like 24 hours a day, they will burn out. And usually when you press yourself that, that long and that hard, uh, the burnout is even longer and deeper. Uh, and usually sometimes people flame, crash and burn um, ha- after doing that. So, you know. I just firmly believe that, you know, uh, that you actually do have to take time and uh, and and whether that time is a part of your, you know, your weekend, um, you know, Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest. Uh, How many people do you know don't do anything on Sunday?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. How many people do you do things on Sunday? Oh,
0: oh, 100 (laughs) percent.
1: Hmm. I have a girlfriend who won't even answer the phone on Sunday. And at first I was offended.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. But then
1: then when I started getting into wellness, Hmm. I understood. And so, you know, you do what you have to do and people prioritize their wellness in different ways.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate that. No. So everyone, FYI, I guess now we're going to start the interview. Um, so, so before we had that brief interlude, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I want to ask you a few questions that I, I'm so interested in hearing your perspective on, and I'm going to start with, um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned your, your late husband, the, 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 the late honorable Elijah Cummings. Um, uh, there is a book that I, I, I've been hearing you talk about. Um, um, we are better than this. Um, my first question is: Are we? Are we? Are we really better than this? Um, you know. The reality is like, I get asked this question all the time because you know, I speak on networking influence and, um, and, and being ethical as you rise up the leadership tr- uh, tracks. But I get questions all the time. Like, hey, look, there's a lot of people who aren't ethical. There's a lot of people who, who are horrible people um, who are extremely successful, who who make it to the top and they live very good lives. So, yo, know, are, are we really better than this? And do we really have to be better than this?
1: I think that it is to our own peril as a society, if we have no standards, if we have no ethical standards, if we have no values, Um, you know, corruption is real. Uh, We have it here in the United States and in countries around the world. You see that societies that are overrun by corruption cannot function. And so, you know, unfortunately, uh, we have a situation here in the United States where no one is teaching kids ethics There are no leadership training courses like in the K through 12 environment that help and support the development of children. Uh, You know, religion, which has usually served as a, um, uh, a framework for developing values and ethics, seems to be on the decline in terms of the statistics and certainly in terms of certain Uh, religious denominations, uh, you know, it seems like they incorporate unethical behavior into their belief systems, which is incredible. Um, And so we have, uh, yes, definitely, I think a crisis in leadership and ethics in this country. However, I think we still have uh, a, a majority consensus of right and wrong. Now, You know, that's being challenged uh, by alternative media environments uh, that allow people to choose, pick and choose um, the reality that they want to live in. And one reality uh, is, I I would argue, (laughs) ethics-free. And the other reality, um, you know, sometimes brings ethics in as a standard. Uh, and so you know we have work to do as a society so are we better than this i would say that that remains to be seen i know that uh, president biden yesterday gave a speech uh, that demanded that we be better than this Um, and as long as we continue to have leaders that have standards uh, then we can aspire to be better than this
0: well (gasps) I, I, I recently spoke, to, actually this morning I was speaking to um, former uh, U.S. Ambassador uh, Lisa Gable. And for anyone who hasn't heard of her, she's freaking awesome. And you can definitely <laughs> listen to her episode. Um, and we were talking about the importance of a fact of data. Um, and what I have been nervous about is I, I literally saw a video, a, a number of interviews yesterday um, of individuals who seriously just they i'm not sure where they got the, the the facts they're working on are not facts are not facts but for them they are facts and they are they truly believe in it and so as a leader like how do you navigate in a in, a, in an environment um and try to do what's right when no one can agree on the facts, if no one can agree on the objective facts of a situation, how do you influence and convince people to do what's quote unquote right?
1: Well, I think this is the tough question that we're in as a nation right now, um, because, you know, not only do we have um, an a alternative ecos- media ecosystem that's willing to traffic in, in lies and falsehoods, we also have a vulnerable public that hasn't been taught critical thinking skills, uh, nor, you know, nor are they savvy with media. Uh, and so when you have that combination, it's a dangerous combination because any conspiracy theory will basically grab a significant portion of the population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the time where we tread carefully. And we, um, you know, uh, and we, I think, argue persuasively and broadly. Um, you know, I've been torn about whether you ignore the alternate me- alternative media ecosystem or whether you engage. I think it's dangerous to disengage completely. Um, and I think that, you know, there are some people that you will only reach by going on Newsmax or Fox News um, or, you know, whatever. Breitbart. Uh, they don't necessarily consume the New York Times or the Washington Post or ABC News or CBS News. Uh, and so does that mean that, um, you know, you ignore them? I would argue probably not. Uh, but does that mean that you validate and engage them uh, every time they, you know, n- you know put out misinformation? Uh, that's a probably not as well. You've got to be st- strategic, I think, about engagement. Uh, that being said, I think that education is so vitally important. There is a trend now against an anti-intellectualism, uh, a strain of anti-intellectualism that pervades, I think, our society. Uh, I think that leaders are telling our children that they don't need to necessarily, um, you know, go to college, uh, that they can, you know, do other things, et cetera. And while I think training, uh, professional training for careers is absolutely an option, Uh, There are certain skills that you pick up uh, when you actually seek uh, higher education opportunities um, that, you know, that can't be discounted. Uh, The first thing is that you're exposed to different perspectives and views, and that is a a defining aspect of development. Uh, If you're only attending, uh, you know, institutions where your beliefs are reinforced and you have no uh, you know, opportunity to meet people of different backgrounds, uh, then you're, you're likely to you know, stay comfortably in your own zone and never challenge your own worldview in a way that allows you to understand and appreciate different perspectives. Um, and that goes for, by the way, liberals and conservatives. Um, and you know, at the same time, you know, the whole notion of critical thinking, being able to do deductive and inductive reasoning uh, being able to discern what facts are, uh, being able to, you know, construct arguments, being able to deconstruct arguments. All of these things are critically important and things that you learn during the course of uh, inappropriate educational experience. And unfortunately, too many people are being encouraged not to get those experiences.
0: You know, it's funny is actually, so two two points really quickly. Um, one I'm a huge proponent of, of critical thinking and, you know, in in the leadership roles that I've held and do hold, I mean, the organizations I still work with and for, um, you know, one of the things I I'm huge on is pressing those individuals who, who work for me to make a real critical argument for why I should support something. Um, I don't want to just get, hey, this is one, here. here's the one option you have, this is it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I want to, eat. what's three options? Why is this going to work? Why is it not going to work? Like I, teaching those skills are really important. Um, Yes, it takes time, but man, the, the benefits of it is so, so great. And then on the other side, to underscore what you said earlier, I watched a documentary um, a few months ago on brainwashing on um, on Netflix, really, really great documentary and it says basically almost anyone is susceptible to this stuff, right? Um, sure. And so we have to be really careful with judging people who, who have been brainwashed because they they collected information. They truly believe what they're hearing is what's what's right and what's factual. And one of the worst things you can do, as you said, is to stop talking to them because they they, they stay in that that that, um, that echo chamber and they only then hear those facts and no one is challenging um, what what they believe and what other people are saying. So you're absolutely right. We we can't a hundred percent shut down to that stuff. So so the next thing I'd like to ask you is about Rageism. What is rageism? Is is that is that when you're intentionally discriminating against people who, who have rage, and what's wrong with that?
1: No, actually, it's uh, it's a provocative title, I know, uh, but it's actually a combination of racism and ageism, rageism, and I basically redefine ageism uh, to not mean just discrimination against older people. But when racism is added to the equation, ageism actually becomes uh, discrimination against uh, the lived experiences of people of color over a lifetime from pre-birth to death and, and over generations, actually. And so, rageism is the what we actually see in the statistics in terms of uh, disparities uh, for people of color, whether we're talking about health, education, wealth, over generations. And... Uh, and it's perpetuated, we often talk about institutional racism, but that, those institutions are actually uh, controlled by people, people who have values and who bring those biased values into their decision-making processes. And so, racism is about how we actually achieve liberation policy uh, in a way where our institutions can fairly serve people of all backgrounds uh, in, in a way that allows uh, them to thrive. That is what racism is.
0: You, you know, what's funny is you just mentioned um, something that I'm, I'm a huge like uh, I'm, I'm a literalist. I'm 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 very much a literalist. And when I hear people talking about systems, you know, system of oppression, um, systems within the organization that um, that aren't uh, that aren't effective and whatnot, um, it it sounds like it's far off in a away. There's this thing. There's this obscure thing in the distance, the system causing all these challenges for us. Systems are nothing more than people, right? So people <laughs>
1: and rules that the people make.
0: Yes. So we have to be, it, it, I, I love that you're, that you're talking about, again, it's people and those pe- those rules, those people make. So then how do you go about um, impacting those people or helping those people change their thoughts on how they get things done without making them feel um I guess, attacked that they feel attacked and they become defensive and it probably becomes harder, right?
1: They have to actually understand their biases. They have to understand them and be able to, uh, if they have goodwill now, mind you, some people actually pursue positions of power just so they can implement their biases. Um, But, you know, it's up to the people to actually select people that are able to understand and, uh, you know, uh, fairly uh, implement power. Uh, in ways that are just to society and equitable. Um, and for policymakers that, you know, are willing to grapple with their biases and to, um, you know, address their internalized biases, this book will actually help them do that uh, by helping to make uh, their actions transparent, uh, by helping people to understand biased policies, uh, by helping people to deconstruct uh, institutional racism, uh, in ways that can lead to fairer outcomes.
0: Th- thank you so much for that. Thank you also for making sure I didn't think we were discriminated against people who have rage. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I, I, there, there are a couple questions I really want to make sure I sneak in here before we because there, there's a special one I want to ask later. But um, the the next one is, you know, you've had an extremely distinguished career. Like extremely, whether it's, you know, talking on all kinds of different medias, being part of the Aspen, Aspen Institute, the, uh, the Brookings Institute, um, the, the, you know, being party chair of Maryland Democratic Party, like you have done so much. And there are things that you've gone after that you weren't successful in attaining, right? Um, how do you pick yourself up from a loss I think a lot of people have challenges going after what they want to attain because they're so worried about not attaining it. Um, how do you pick yourself up and keep going when you don't reach something that you that you put your 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 heart, soul, and passion towards?
1: My parents taught us how to be resilient. Now, before I ever became a failed political candidate, I was a failed beauty contestant. <laughs> <laughs> I was also a failed softball team member. <laughs> I was, you know, I was also a failed basketball and volleyball player. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is, is, that throughout life, you know, you enter competitions, whether that's team sports, whether that's beauty pageants, whatever it is. And, you know, sometimes you fail uh, and then sometimes you succeed, but that doesn't mean you'd never try. My mother used to say nothing beats a failure, but a try. Meaning that, you know, you, you, you definitely will fail if you never try. Uh, but if you try, mm. you know, you have the possibility of winning. Uh, and so, you know, with that, that's the theory that I've always gone into life with. I, I don't feel failed as a person if I don't partic- if I don't, I don't prevail in terms mm. of a particular contest. Um, you know, either I try again or I refocus my attention in other areas. And, you know, I, it doesn't get to the core of my essence or my being. It doesn't undermine my value or how I value myself as a human being or how I see myself as a professional. It's just one experience. And that one experience can help you learn. It can help you develop. It can help you
0: grow. Well, Look, I'm with you. I'm with you. I promise you. I promise everyone I'm 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 with her right now. Um and you mentioned a magic word that I'm not sure how do we teach in today's environment? You mentioned resilience. Um I feel like that is becoming harder and harder to teach and to provide people the opportunity to build those areas of resistance when to some extent we are we are sheltering people from hard circumstances. Again, not, not there are obviously things that are horrible and we should never allow, right? Um, but there are things that hurt, they're uncomfortable, they, they, they make you wish that you weren't in that situation, but you're always, but you can be better from it once you get through it. How, how do we teach resilience in, 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 a, in, a, in a time and environment where we're, almost actively trying to remove all those barriers for people.
2: Thank you for tuning in to the Alex Tremble show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
0: Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year round. Weba has been ensuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fagley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WAPA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today.
2: The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com slash courses slash networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code Family on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com slash courses slash networking. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble.
1: You know, I think that hard work matters. And I think that, you know, sports for me mattered. I mean, you know, I, I'll i never forget, you know, we were taught how to be good losers. Um, you know, when, when we didn't mm-hmm, win, mm-hmm. our team didn't win in softball, we had to go and shake the other team's hand and smile at them and, mm-hmm. you know, congratulate them. <laughs> You know, when you know, things like that happen in life, um, you know, you don't fall apart. You, you, you learn how to be gracious losers uh, and you learn how to separate your loss from your sense of self-esteem and self-worth. And, and that these things are taught over a lifetime, particularly in childhood. Um, you know, I, the other week I was I over, I was at a restaurant and I overheard a guy at a bar saying that you know he never had to do anything until he left home at the age of 18 he didn't have to mow the lawn he
0: didn't have mm, to wash dishes he mm-hmm. didn't have to
1: clean his room he didn't have to do anything
0: Ooh, i actually lived in that house
1: <laughs> everything was done for him uh and then he went into the military at 18 where he had to learn how to do for himself and it just struck me that you know this gentleman uh you know uh it, You know, it's likely uh, that there are things that he did not develop uh, and could not develop by the time he turned 18 and had to go into the military. And we do our our children a disservice um, when we coddle them and don't teach them responsibility at a young age and don't teach them how to be gracious losers or how to be gracious winners. Uh, You know, when we don't teach them how not to be a bully uh, or how how to stand up to bullies. Um, you know, there are certain lessons in life that our children have to learn. They can't be handed everything. I know that there's been a debate about whether, you know, to, um, you know, allow winners and losers in children's game. You know, do you know, should the winners, should everybody get the prize? And I would answer the answer is no. <laughs>
0: everybody <laughs> should not get
1: the prize. Yeah. Um, and you, you, there are lessons to be learned and there are critical life lessons to be learned. Uh, in losing. And, you know, certainly um, I think that it's important that we understand that, you know, everybody can't get a consolation prize in life.
0: Man, man, pr- look, preach. Um, you know, one thing I love talking about in my talks and whatnot, and also I did it on, you talked about it on YouTube too, um, is the importance of separating yourself from those losses. Um, you know, I'm not a horrible person because I lost the strategy I use wasn't what it needed to happen or I didn't Mm -hmm. put in the work required to get there or whatever it is, but it's not, I am not a horrible person. It's just, I need to do things differently. Again, Mm -hmm. more effort, different strategy, create, create better groups or teams. Um, You you got to kind of protect our our self-worth when we're doing those things. Um, You know, I want to ask you about communication because you are, again, in the, the area that you, you work and you're always out communicating. And I tell people that communication, I think it's fairly simple. Um, it's not easy, but I think it's fairly simple. And how I kind of break it down is you need to just always understand the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, who needs to be communicated to? Um, what needs to be communicated? When should it be communicated? Where should it be communicated? And how should it be communicated? Um you know, I I want to ask you about that how, because sometimes, sometimes we believe it's it's best to send an email. But you know what? Sometimes it's it's best to just send a text, or sometimes it's best to, hey, let's meet up in person, let's talk about this. You know, in the world that you live in, there I'm sure there are things that you've decide that, you know what, I am this can't be a phone conversation, it needs to be in person, this can't be an email, it needs to be this. How do you determine which communication strategy you use for different type of content?
1: So I think it's the nexus between data and persuasion. And for me, uh, it's even bigger than the matrix you provided because, you know, I've had, you know, I run a think tank. Uh, I created a think tank that I ran for a decade. and so for me, it was like, OK, we have the data. Should it be presented in short format? So is it an infographic? Is it a fact sheet? Is it a policy brief? Is it a report? Um, you know, is it a video? Is it, you know, this or that? Is it a text? Is it a, you know, an Instagram post? Is it is it, a you know, a uh, Twitter post? is it a Facebook post? These are all questions that have to go through your mind based on the data and what kind of argument uh, or information you're trying to convey. Uh, And so based on that uh, assessment, uh, you know, and how persuasive you're seeking to be, uh, if the data is self-evident and uh, all it needs to be is a factoid, then an infographic or tweet is appropriate, right? Uh, If, if the data is more complex and nuanced and you have to have a sophisticated argument with it, then it's more long format. You're looking at either a report if the data is extensive uh, or a policy brief if the data is less extensive. If you have to have sophisticated argumentation with it, uh, then, you know, perhaps you're developing a, a video if you really need to be persuasive and people need to hear you and see you, then it's a video, it's an Instagram post that's, you know, animated perhaps. So, you know, all of these things have to be assessed. Um, and, and it's usually at the nexus of data uh, and the quantity of data uh, and argumentation, how much persuasion needs to be made.
0: Thank you so much for that. It makes me think of a, a incident that happened recently that um, I needed to talk to an individual um, and I made the decision, I'm Like you know what, this is probably not, I could say it via email um, but it probably be easier received if I just picked up the phone call and talked to them. Um, well,
1: the other thing about email and the dangerous thing about email, as you well know, is oh, that man. it can be easily misconstrued.
0: Mm hmm. Yes. Yes. So yes.
1: people have to be able to hear your inflection points. They have to be able to hear your tone of voice, you know, certainly. Uh, and so the fact that you decided to pick up the phone was probably very
0: important. Well, you got to the question I'm going to ask you. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure I, I saved some time for this because this is a, a personal question. I just wanted to know. Um, so and you, obviously you can always say no, you don't want to answer it. Um, How how did you meet your your late husband, the Honorable Mm. Elijah uh, Cummings?
1: Yeah, so I arrived in Washington, D.C. in 1997, and I arrived as a Congressional Black Caucus Foundation fellow, and I applied for that fellowship because I needed to get to Washington, D.C. to collect data for my dissertation, and I could not afford to stay in D.C. on my own. I had to find a paid fellowship uh, or internship. And so the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Um, you know, I won their fellowship. So I arrived in D.C. in 1997. Maybe I saw him around that fall of 1997. I'm sure I did because, uh, you know, as a Congressional Black Caucus fellow, you're invited to go to the annual legislative conference. You're in the milieu of the CBC. You see all the members. But it wasn't, I don't remember having an extensive conversation with him until the spring of 1998 when um, I Uh, was collecting data for my dissertation. A friend arranged for me to, um, you know, meet with members of Congress. And he was one of the first members to actually accept my letter of request. Uh And I sat down with him for, I think, 45 minutes to an hour uh, where we talked about HIV AIDS in the African-American community. And, you know, in that conversation, I remember being impressed with him because he was already thinking uh, above Uh, the mainstream thought process of leaders of color at that time. He was not thinking in terms of stereotypes. He was thinking about, as he said, quote, you know, I don't care about the stigma. Uh, I'm interested in saving lives. And I labeled him when I went back and did all of the translation of my um, interviews. uh, I labeled him a transformational leader. And I just remembered him because he, he was, you know, he was thinking outside of the box. But then, you know, after that, I would see him around and we, you know, we would chat. And it became like, you know, literally, it was like we had known each other a lifetime. Old friends, you know, maybe I'd known him in another life, perhaps. <laughs> um, and so I remember, so several years went by. And uh, you know, in the summer of 2000, I ran into him, and he um, he asked me out, which was unusual because I don't think up until that time I thought that he was even thinking of me in that way. <laughs> um, and we ended up going out. Um, but, you know, soon thereafter, I found out that he actually was in a relationship or two or three. <laughs> and so we just became, we, we became good friends and that good friendship over the period of several years became a romance, which eventually ended up in a marriage in
0: 1998. <laughs> <That's>... Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Keeping it real.
0: No, that's so cool though. I mean, I, I love the story um, you, you you, know, um, I, I love to see, hear your insider perspective. Um, you know, you I, I listened to another interview um, with you and it, it, and it sounded like you and him would talk about a, a lot of different pol- actual policy issues. Um, we
1: talk now, deeply about politi- policy
0: and politics. Well, I always feel like members, like, I, look, I have a thing about members, but I also have to give them, they're due. Like they are voting on, they are weighing in on a million different issues. Um, and so there's a thought like the reality is they can only be experts in a few issues. Everything else kind of goes to the staff um, and they, they take the staff's recommendations. Is that what you felt when, you know, like, how did he go about, how did you all go about discussing policy, so many different policy issues that could impact? Things in Africa to to water to hyd- you know hydrogen and and just so many different things. Like, how do you how do you all navigate? How do y'all navigate all those different types of issues that you got to weigh in on? You may not be an expert.
1: So so you said y'all. <laughs> but <laughs> let me just let me just preface this answer by saying we became each other's not just mentors. I mean, uh, friends, uh, and <laughs> eventually romantic partners and 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 marriage partners and uh, lovers but we were each other's advisors we were each other's chief advisors um, and so you know Elijah turned to me on policy matters big and small you know there were times where you know his I was CC'd along with his staff on issues and they expected me to weigh in just like they were weighing in um, and so you know in some respects you know I was an extended staff member, if you will, um, an advisor. Um, But in other respects, you know, Elijah did the same thing for me. We had, we each had our own strengths and, and it worked beautifully because, you know, he was able to counsel me. I was able to counsel him.
0: Who was it? Oh, shoot. There was someone I was listening to the other day. Um, Oh, oh, um, a very good mentor of mine. Uh, um, I won't mention her name uh, because, uh, you know, she would be known. Um, but that one thing she, she told me was that her husband um, was, um, she's like, I learned so much from my husband. And he was like a mentor to me and mm-hmm. vice versa. Like that's, I would
1: argue the same thing for a lot of
0: That's so cool, you know, to be in that type of relationship where you're both building each other up, you know, like that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is, is that... <laughs> I often heard, well, you know, um, political people say, particularly younger political people here in the Baltimore area say, well, Elijah didn't men- mentor any of us. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I felt definitely mentored by him. I know that he mentored young people. He had Elijah Cummings youth program mm-hmm. where he poured his heart and soul into developing those young people and to making sure that they got opportunities. Um, but, you know, you know, Elijah did take time with certain people. Um, and I was blessed to be one that, you know, had not only had a life walk with him, but also had a professional walk with him.
0: Oh, well, look, you know, thank you so much for just everything you fed into me and the rest of the audience today and, and sharing that story. I, again, I was so, one of the reasons I was like, so interested in today's, this conversation, I wanted to ask you that question, because so this just got to be really cool. And it was a really cool story. Um, I know you, you probably, you probably got jump off the line and, you know, jump on some BCC, uh, uh um, uh, CNN, Fox news, NBC interview, or don't talk to the president of such and such right now. Um, so I'm, we're going to start wrapping up. Um, I wanted to open the floor back up to you though. Is, is there anything you'd like to share thoughts, ideas, anything that even you're working on this interesting, you'd like to let everyone hear about.
1: So, you know, currently I'm doing some great work around, uh, equity and the distribution of federal funds coming down from ARPA uh, and from infrastructure. We need to make sure that communities of color, low-income communities aren't left behind like we've traditionally been uh, when it comes to the distribution of these resources, these unprecedented amount of resources that are coming down. So doing some work for the uh, Schott Foundation in that regard just uh, helped the uh, Florida Agricultural Mechanical Institution, otherwise known as FAMU, write a multi-million dollar federal grant um, on um, broadband infrastructure, um, you know, working Mm -hmm. on uh, HIV AIDS policy right now. So, you know, fortunately for me, my firm, Global Policy Solutions, allows me to satiate my my interest in in multiple policy areas and projects um, in a way that keeps my mind sharp uh, and my interests in diverse policy issues, um, you know, uh, developed. Um, at the same time, I just want to say this: We're at a dangerous point in the evolution of our nation in several respects. For um, people of color, the African American community, explicitly, uh, we find that we were already in a vulnerable spot prior to COVID uh, because you know of these health and education and wealth disparities. And now we find ourselves even in a more desperate position because um, the statistics are not great. Uh, And in some ways uh, that they are actually getting worse. And so there has to be a, this is a critical inflection point for us in terms of what we need to do to make sure that life is better for our children and their children. And then two, uh, as a nation, our democracy is under threat. And I know that as an African-American, I'm only the fourth generation from slavery in my country and in this country. And my great grandparents were slaves as children. Um, and so you might ask, well, why do you care about democracy? <laughs> well, democracy uh, enabled us to be going from, you know, a chattel slavery situation to a situation where we were citizens at first on paper and then in reality and then a contested reality. And we're still in that contested reality right now. But as a child of a military officer who, you know, basically I grew up in in, and around military bases, I appreciate democracy. I appreciate service. I appreciate the fact that we have institutions that can be shaped by the public and we have input and we have voice. And when we express our voice, we don't immediately go to prison. Uh, You know, we're not an autocratic society. We are a society that enjoys certain protected freedoms. Those freedoms are not enjoyed equally by all. And we have a lot of work to do to move towards a more perfect union. That being said, my late husband and I and my father and my mother and people who I've been surrounded with all of my life have believed in this project of democracy. I believe in it. And I believe that we're at a critical inflection point where we have to fight fight for our ability to survive as a democracy in this country, even though it hasn't always been fair to people like us, whether we're talking about women or people of color, et cetera. And so uh, because the alternative, the alternative of a fascist or autocratic future will definitely not bode well for any of the categories I've just discussed. In fact, I think the alternative could very well look like a Third Reich Germany. And so with that, the stakes are high. We've got to fight like nobody's business. We have more resources than we've ever had in the history of this country at this time and in the moment in the history of our country. And we need to use those networks and resources in ways that are creative, that spur a sense of ownership amongst us, that spur us to make sure that we're thinking generationally and that we're thinking communally. And I think that, you know, I think that we have the ability to overcome, but we have to be conscious. We can't sleepwalk this.
0: Man, sorry. You put a lot on my heart right now. Um, you know, I, thank you so much for being there. There's so many different topics. I'd love to, th- to throw out and hear your thoughts on whether it's, you know, about being a woman and what it, what it means, uh, whether well, it's about you at the time when you were a young child and your father was arrested. For having not having his lights on his in on in his car. No, you did die, your research. Didn't you, you
1: did your research. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Um, but you know, you have just so many wonderful, thought-provoking stories. And so hopefully at some point I, I, we can have you back on. But thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts, your ideas, everything you've done today. And everyone, I'ma get repetitive right now. You know what I'm about to say. Don't just look back reach back, right? If you found anything of value in today's conversation, don't keep it to yourself and say that next person should have been here. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. You say, this was wonderful. This is great. I know who need to hear this. And you take this content and you give it to them and you tell them you need to sit down and watch it right now. You know, Maybe you don't got to be as aggressive, but you get where I'm going with this. Don't just look back, reach back. Thank you everyone for being here. Thank you, Maya. And you, everyone, as always, Stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya.
2: Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.